Uh, Today's passage in the Gospel of Matthew and the sermon I've been working on for today has fought back especially hard. Um, It's that passage where he says, uh, well, I, I opened to a different passage. Let me read it real quick. Now it was said, whoever sends his wife away is to give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except for the reason of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. And that is a really difficult passage. I'm looking at Matthew 2.16. Uh, not Matthew, Malachi 2.16. It says, for I hate divorce says the Lord, the God of Israel. I want to tell you something about what I believe about God hating divorce is that God doesn't hate people for getting divorced. He doesn't hate divorced people. He hates divorce the way a surgeon hates cancer, right? He hates divorce the way a physician hates what takes the life that he is trying to to give or protect. That's, that's what I believe it means when it says God hates divorce. He's not up there seeking for another reason to zap people and to blast people and make them miserable. He is seeking to protect people. And what the message we need to understand first is God loves marriage. And that's why God hates divorce. And, and I'm saying all this, maybe I... I It's like I could almost throw this thing away. (laughs) None of that is written down here. Uh, This is the passage. This passage in Matthew is the passage. If you remember a few weeks ago, we were on this this passage. It said, uh, Therefore, whoever nullifies one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. And I said, there's some passages that terrify me. This is the one (laughs) more than any other passage where I'm afraid I might compromise. And, and I'm couching my words when I say might. This is the one I'm afraid I compromise on. And I want to be careful. I want you to know that up front. I'm struggling to get this right. And I don't know that I did. And if, if you walk away disagreeing with my conclusions at the end, you, you may very well be right. Okay, I'm not going to insist you agree with me, but I'm going to teach what I believe is the right thing here. You thought last week's sermon was hard? <laughs> this week's is harder. But I want to start with showing God's love for marriage. And if you would turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. And some of you have heard me say this. It's been one of my favorite themes in the last couple of years. Ephesians chapter 5 is too often the battle passage of of marriages. Because Ephesians chapter 2, or chapter 5, starting at verse 22, wives, subject yourselves to your own husbands as to the Lord. Right? The husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. But as the church is subject to, the, to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Then he addresses husbands. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word that he might present to himself the church in all her glory. And we find this powerful comparison between marriage 
and God and Christ and his relationship with the church. We constantly find in the Old Testament Israel being called, compared to the wife of, of God. In the New Testament, the church is the bride of Christ. Okay, uh, So let me keep reading. So that Jesus did this, that he might sanctify the church in all her glory. Husband is supposed to treat his wife that way, having no spot or wrinkle or any... Uh, such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are part of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Verse 32, this is the one that is so significant. This mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. And we go, I, I see husband and wife here. I don't see Christ in the church. I, and so I want to show you some comparisons. This is part of demonstrating how God loves marriage. Okay? Uh, marriage, in marriage, two people of their own free will look at each other and say, I want to enter into a lifetime of committed relationship with you. In our relationship with Jesus Christ, he looks at us and we look at him and say, I want to enter into a lifetime of committed relationship with you. In marriage, we say, I will sacrifice for you. We both say that. Jesus sacrificed for us and we will sacrifice for him. In marriage, we live for the betterment of each other and Christ lived for us and we live to serve him. And the comparisons and correlations between marriage and Christ in the church are incredible. And then God gave us this gift of marriage. Was it, was it an afterthought that he said, you know, I have this marriage thing. It kind of looks like the church. I think I'll use it as an illustration. <laughs> or did he say, I want to give these people that I am making and love so much a powerful picture of how much I love them and how much I want for them. And we see that, that God loves marriage for our benefit and for the lesson it gives and for the picture it is of his love for us, God loves marriage. And because he loves marriage, he hates divorce. Right? That's not hard to see because divorce does damage. It kills that thing he loves. And it does damage. Okay? Today's passage in Matthew, Jesus says, I say to you, everyone who divorces his wife, except for the reason of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. And I am not going to ask for any show of hands, right? But we're, there's a lot of us have dealt with this. And, and one of the ways we deal with it is by choosing to ignore it. That's a mistake. Okay? So I'm going to start with, with uh, a lesson on divorce in Bible. Okay? Because uh, Jesus says here in Matthew chapter 5, Now it was said... You know, that's our pattern. You have heard, here's what I say. And each time, he makes it harder. He doesn't make it easier. You have heard it said, now it was said, whoever sends his wife away is to give her a certificate of divorce, but I say to you. So let's start with that, whoever sends his wife away. Now, before we go any farther, I want to tell you, you know, if you're familiar with the concept of parallel passages, it's a passage, for instance, in Matthew, that the same story we find in the Gospel of Mark, that the same story we find in the Gospel of Luke, and we bring those passages together and we compare them and see what we can glean out of them. This one is highly unusual in that there is a parallel passage in the same Gospel. So I'm reading to you out of Matthew 5. Flip to Matthew 19. This is where our scripture reading was taken from. It's just a little bit farther down the page. 
And we find the exact same issue coming up, but somebody else brings it up this time, not Jesus. So Matthew 19, starting with verse 7, they said to him, Why then did Moses command to give her a certificate of divorce and send her away? So they brought up the question, and they're blaming Moses. They're blaming this whole divorce thing on Moses. We're gonna, we're gonna, and then he says, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it has not been this way. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. And so it's the same teaching in two different passages with, with some slight differences between the two. Okay? So we're looking at this whole thing of, of uh, um, starting with, Moses and, and Moses okaying divorce or, or instituting divorce. They say whoever sends his wife away is to give her a certificate in Matthew 5, uh, 31. They say, why did Moses command to give her a certificate of divorce in, in Matthew 19, 7? What it actually says. And so I, you know, I have, it's, it's real easy. You look up the word divorce in the Bible <laughs> or divorced or divorces because they're, you know, all three are in there. And the first mention we have of divorce is in Leviticus chapter 21, verse 7. And nobody is saying anything about okaying divorce or outlawing divorce or, or anything like it. Uh, they're just acknowledging that it's there. Uh, Leviticus chapter, I'm in Deuteronomy, that's not going to read right. <laughs> Leviticus 21, verse 7. Speaking of the rules for the priests, who the priest is allowed to marry, right? Priests are not allowed to marry just anybody. He says, they shall not take a woman who is a prostitute and profaned, nor shall they take a woman divorced from her husband, for he is holy to his God. And so it doesn't, Moses isn't allowing anything. Verse 14, a widow or a divorced woman or one who is profaned by prostitution, these he shall not take, but rather he is to marry a virgin from his own people. And it's just saying who a high priest, or not a high priest, but a priest is to marry. The closest thing we find about a command is in Deuteronomy chapter 24. Uh, and we find the closest thing about to a command about divorce. Deuteronomy 24, verses 1 through 4. says, when a man takes a wife and marries her, and it happens if she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her, that he writes her a certificate of divorce, puts it in her hand, and sends her away from her house, and she leaves his house and goes and becomes another man's wife, and the latter husband turns against her, writes her a certificate of divorce, and puts it in her hand, and sends her away from his house, or if the latter husband who took her to be his wife dies, then her former husband who sent her away is not allowed to take her again to be his wife after she has been defiled, for that is an abomination before the Lord. You shall not bring sin on the land which the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. So that's the closest thing we have of Moses giving a command about divorce in the Bible. They're saying, well, Moses, why did Moses command this? Moses didn't command it. Moses recognized it as an, something that was already going on. And divorce was apparently very easy for a man, <laughs> very convenient thing. He just simply could write her a certificate of divorce, hand it to her, and she was gone. Uh, she had, in a sense, it was a mercy because that way she had this freedom to go find someone else. You know, we were talking about a society where women were in, in many ways helpless. And so the, the certificate was a, a benefit as far as that goes. It was nicer than not giving her a certificate and sending her away because then she couldn't legally remarry. Uh, but uh, it was, he had that much freedom and power in doing it. 
that's what that's what we find. He, he's addressing a situation that that already existed, and God was just putting some moral guidelines around it uh, when He gave the, those commands. And so, but but what we find is they were completely abusing what He had given. They were completely abusing what was there and what He had given, and they were turning it into something else. And they took that phrase of uh, find some indecency in her. And, and there were two schools of thought. It's not surprising that there were two schools of thought because it was the one school of thought that says it should be hard to divorce and, and this had better be a provable offense. But the other school of thought said, you know, anything indecent will do. All you need is an excuse. And, and so the, 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 what they called some indecency clearly intended to, 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 to represent sexual immorality. Uh, but, uh, and Jesus made that really clear, didn't he? Uh, but, but they would say, you know, she can't cook. She, that's indecent. It's indecent for me to have to put up with a woman who can't cook. And some took it so far, this is according to a guy named Alfred Edersheim, who was the expert. I think he wrote over 100 years ago, but he was the expert on these things. And he said, he said it came to the point where if they saw another woman they actually liked, thought was a little better looking, then she was more decent. Therefore, that made the current one indecent, right? And they would justify divorce that easily. And, and, and so that was what they had come down to which may help us understand what Jesus was dealing with. Because in, in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus brings it up and he says, Now it was said, whoever sends his wife away is to give a certificate of divorce, but I say to you. But if we go to Matthew 19, we find it just a little bit different. Got to put my markers in the right place. Uh, they said to him, why then did Moses command... Uh, I'm sorry, verse 3 of chapter 19. The Pharisees came to Jesus testing him and asking, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all? And any reason might be, is there any reason you will, they will find acceptable or just will any reason do? You know, there's really difference in that. And if he was addressing that question, it, it gives us an insight into what is happening. Uh, he's, uh, they seem to be involved in something. Well, I want to come back to that later. I want to stay on topic a little bit first. Uh, Jesus goes to the part where he says, you know, they, they, we have, here's what the law said. Here was the old, old one. Uh, because of the hardness of heart, Moses permitted you. I'm sorry, I want to get back to chapter 5, where I actually am. He says, they, you, what you heard, whoever sends his wife away is to give her a certificate of divorce, right? And, and that's, so he says, that's what, that's what they came with. That's what they, they have heard, and that's what they were following. And then we get to the part where he says, but I say. And typically, this is the part where Jesus explains the underlying problem. And he doesn't do that. He's changed, he's changed, he changes his pattern. And for the rest of these, you have heard and but I says that we find here in Matthew 5, he, he doesn't follow the pattern of exposing the underlying root the same way. He goes on and explains why is wrong or what is wrong with it. He says, but I say, and, and we get to, uh, in, he explains why it's wrong. And I like 19 much better uh, for explaining this, because there he says, because of your hardness of heart, Moses uh, allowed you to divorce. And he takes it, you know, I, I've talked a few times about the kids at school get to give me a question of the day, and, and I have to deal with them. And co coincidentally, conveniently, because all things, nothing is ordained to happen the way it does, it just uh, happened, I'm kidding. Uh, one of them asks, is divorce a sin? And, and I haven't given my class answer in class, but I was, guess what passage I was working on? <laughs> and I'm looking at this and I'm going, what? Is divorce a sin? Is divorce a sin? And, and I came to the conclusion, divorce itself is not necessarily a sin, but divorce is always caused by sin. 
right? And in some cases, divorce itself is a sin. But divorce is not always a sin. He says, because of the hardness of your heart, right? Uh, he's basically saying, and, and he, gives the, he gives the justifiable reason. And, and by the way, in the Old Testament, we find God very clearly compares adultery to idolatry. Because that's how he sees it. You're in idolatry. You're going after another god. In adultery, you're going after another husband or another or another woman or another man. I shouldn't say husband or wife. And by the way, ladies, just so you know, even though I'm using men's terms in this because it's addressed that way, if you can't figure out that this applies both ways, then you're not trying very hard. Okay, uh, this works both ways. Um, but uh, a hardened heart, if if, if, if it's, and, and I hate to say it this way, because I, I don't, there's a lot of ways I'm afraid of misrepresenting Christ here, okay? I'm afraid of misre- misrepresenting Christ by taking his words back and saying, well, they don't mean what they mean, which I always tell you, beware of anyone who starts explaining away scripture. <laughs> the other thing I'm afraid of is portraying Christ as someone who does not forgive sinners and, and that this is an unforgivable sin. And that can't be the right answer either. So you see, there, there's some things in contrast here, some truths in contrast here, that, that uh, there is a, a greater truth underneath that it's difficult to, to come to. Uh, and and, I, and I'm, I'm fearful of, of messing this up. Uh, but he's saying, because of your hardness of heart, Moses gave you this law. In other words, if your heart was not hardened, you would not do this. If your heart was not hardened, you would not send your wife away. What kind of man would send his wife away because she burnt breakfast, right? Well, a guy who's allowed his heart to become really hardened towards his wife. You know, at that point, buddy, then offer to cook yourself, which in my house, we'll just eat cereal because we know that's you know, the, the option. Anybody who doesn't know me and cooking, it's just, you know, last time I cooked bacon and eggs, I burnt them. So... <laughs> I, I'm a, I love uh, Honey Nut Cheerios. There you go. <laughs> anyway, back, back to where we are. He says, if your heart wasn't hardened, you wouldn't do this. This is the person you chose of your own free will. This is the person you pledged to love and honor. This is the person you pledged to sacrifice for. This is the person you pledged before God and man that you would love till death do us part, and you're putting her away because you have allowed your heart to become hardened towards this person that you said these things to. That's something, something, there, there's something wrong there. Now, in, in most divorces, not being an expert on divorce, but in most divorces, one person is more wrong than the other. In most divorces, both share some blame. Some divorces, one person is completely innocent. But never is both of them, are both of them completely innocent. And simply allowing your heart to become hardened is wrong. He says, because of your hardness of heart, uh, this person you said all these things. Uh, it, the passage in Matthew, Matthew 19 again, and, and I'm going, I'm not embarrassed about going back and forth between these. I, and I say that because I try to preach out of one passage and pre- teach what that passage is teaching. But these two are so partnered up that they go that way. And before Jesus answered, they said, is it lawful for man to divorce uh, his wife for any reason at all? And he answered, his first, here's his first answer about divorce. Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? 
and said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one flesh. Therefore what God has joined together, no person is to separate. And that was his answer until they asked him a follow-up question. His answer was, Marriage is designed to last. Marriage is supposed to be uh, till death do you part. They're no longer two but one. What God has joined, let no man separate. Or you want a better word? Let no man break. That's what it's supposed to be. And, And Jesus is referring to a mindset where at least one of the people is only thinking of themselves at the cost of the other not concerned about the cost it is to the other or the hurt it is to the other or the pain it is to the other or whether the other wants it or not. This is what I want and this is what I demand and it's your hardness of your heart. He's talking about the hardness of your heart. And back to Matthew 5. See, I have two markers in my Bible. See this? This is called cheater. (laughs) Okay. I get to go back between these two really easily. Matthew chapter 5, but I say to you that everyone who sends his wife, uh, who divorces his wife except for the reason of sexual immorality makes her commit adultery, and whoever divorces or marries a divorced woman commits adultery. And he gives one valid reason for, for divorce, and it's adultery. And he says divorce without that valid reason makes it divorce. And what we find is that Jesus set a really hard line here, didn't he? Uh, on divorce. And, and so then we get the, you start dancing on the, okay, well, there's divorce, and there's divorce and remarriage, right? And, and, and all these things. And it's, it's just, uh, and so I'm going to tell you now why I think, right? And you recognize what I think has the value of Steve's thoughts, right? I'm not trying to pit my three pound brain against God. Okay, uh, my, you know, I think I'm pretty smart. I might have three pounds in an ounce. <laughs> you say, no, Steve. <laughs> you can go the other way, right? Uh, we, we don't want to do that. Uh, but I think, and I think I'm consistent with Scripture, with all these tensions that, that I, I talked about, that it is not wrong for people to get married after a divorce, necessarily, and that they can do it without sinning or causing others to sin. And so I want to talk about why I think that in light of what we've read here. Uh, and, and in fact, rule number one, answer number one, and again, I don't have this written down, is I think it is a mistake to read the New Testament to look for legalistic rules. We, you can find them in there. But if the Old Testament gave us a set of laws that we could not abide from to prove we needed grace... The New Testament did not come to give us even harder laws to prove we're greater failures. Okay? That, that's, that's not what, I don't think that's the purpose of what Jesus says this for, uh, because it, it's just not consistent with, with what the entire New Testament is there for. Uh, so I think, first of all, I think Jesus was responding to that easy divorce for any reason mindset that developed there. He said in one for any reason at all. He said in the other for the reason of adultery, except for the reason of adultery. I think he was making a contrast to the easy divorce mentality that they have. And then he went in verse 9 to Anne marries another. And I, here's what I think was happening, especially based on reading that thing about, you know, if he sees another woman he likes better is the guy who's divorcing his wife already eyeballing his next wife. 
right? Uh, that was that appears to be what was going on. Was that the, the guy would go along and he would start, you know, some other woman would start catching his eye and he'd start looking at her and thinking about her and say, you know, I like her better. I'm going to find a reason to leave this one so that I can have that one. And and uh, I don't understand. I don't understand why a woman would put up with that. But of course, like today, it works both ways. But we hear about the, you know, the guy who, who uh, you know, trades in his wife for a younger model. And for some reason, for some reason, <laughs> older men are attracted to younger women. And the part I don't get, that part I get. <laughs> I don't get why younger women are attracted to older men. But I know it happens. And so uh, it, it seems to be something that was going on then as well. I'm thinking at some point, do you not realize that this guy who leaves his wife for you will leave you for another one? Do you not realize if you're sleeping with this guy before you're married that he will sleep with other people outside of marriage? Do you, what part of this are you not figuring out? How dumb are you? I'm sorry, ladies. Because <laughs> the guys do this like Adam and Eve. Guys do this knowingly, but Eve deceived. <laughs> Somehow, it's, I don't know why that happens. But they, they seem to be involved in something that, that the phrase for it is serial monogamy. You know, married to only one woman at a time, in process. Serial, not as in serial, but the series, right? And you get rid of one wife because you want to have another woman. And, and, and when you say that, the, the, the reason I like that, first of all, is it, it, it makes sense. And, but the other reason, it makes sense in terms of, you know, why what they're doing is so wrong. But it also makes sense of the adultery line. Because... Uh, you're throwing away those vows of sexual purity. You know, you, I, I, by you, you pledge to be faithful to one another, right? Any sex outside of that marriage is an absolute violation of that pledge. And, and when you just say, well, I can throw the pledge away so that I can marry another, you, you're, God does not see that as valid. We don't see that as valid. We see that, we, if we see that as slimy, <laughs> right, uh, how do you think God sees it? And the answer would be much the same. Uh, and so it makes the adultery line make sense. And even if she or the other one, because I'm talking, speaking to both ladies and men, is trying to be faithful to the, to the vows, you've made it impossible by, by forcing them to share their mate. And aside from that, the legalistic understanding of this is just really hard to, 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 to make sense of. Uh, because first of all, it turns divorce and remarriage into the unforgivable sin. You know, if, if someone comes and says, we want to get married, and they've, they've got a divorce in their story, you need to work through that. Are, you know, it has, the, has the issue been dealt with? Has there been confession? Has there been forgiveness? Uh, has there, you know, is, is there, are there issues that haven't been, been dealt with? Is there sin that hasn't been dealt with from that previous marriage? But I don't understand imposing on them a burden that, that uh, I don't think God would put on someone. Uh, and, and again, I'm saying here, when I say I don't think, you say, well, Steve, it says right here, you know, if you disagree with me and you want to take a harder line than I do, I, I, I'm not going to stand and argue with you. I'm going to say, I must acknowledge your position is biblical, right? And, and uh, if, and I fear as I've said, that mine is not. But, but you hear my reasoning. I hope it makes sense. Uh, you know, the other, another part of this being 
difficult to accept as a legalistic way, is that it doesn't allow for other causes of divorce. You know, if a husband beats his wife consistently, is that not a valid reason for her to leave him? Because I sure think so, right? What about desertion? You know, the, one of the, one of, either the husband or the wife, either one just simply says, you know what, I'm not going back anymore, and, and, and drives off and doesn't come home. And I don't know any kind of statistics. I looked for statistics on that. I couldn't find anything. Uh, might just mean I'm not good at finding statistics. I don't know. Because uh, I actually I wanted to have a number and say the, how often that happens because you hear about it. And, and, and is that not a valid reason for divorce? I mean, come on. It just, they, they seem to be valid reasons as well. And so I think Jesus is... is uh, not giving us new laws to, to follow, but he's giving us an example to show how what they were doing wrong in the area of marriage and divorce in their society. And the, there's a principle under that of God hates divorce. Uh, he loves marriage. He hates divorce. And, and we better treat that properly. And then there's this. I've, I've referred to it before. If a person is, 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 even if a person is sinful in the divorce, you know, if, if you were the rat who went out and had the affair and cheated on your wife and, 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 and uh, were unfaithful to her and caused a divorce and you're the bad guy, is that sin now unforgivable? Because murder is not unforgivable, right? Bank robbing is not unforgivable. Beating people up is not forgive, unforgivable. So why is this one unforgivable? And, 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 and uh, by unforgivable, I'm saying the, consequ- the consequences that follow, it, follow along it are that you can never get married. It sounds like it's being treated as unforgivable. And so for all these reasons, I have come to the conclusion that a divorced person can remarry without sin. If someone says I'm wrong <laughs> and that they cannot, I, I will not say your stand is unbiblical. I'll say you might be right. Um, I'm, I'm, please, you know, if everyone walks around away today saying Steve totally biffed this one, uh, I understand. But I want to get back to the roots of divorce now. So far, all we've done is wrestle with a difficult text. Yeah, I, I read a quote. I don't have the exact quote ready for you, but it, it described uh, the liberal church, what liberals do with, 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 with the Bible is essentially they take, the, they take their doctrines or their beliefs, they take the Bible and conform it to the society standards of the day and make it agree with today's standards. What the conservative does is he says, here's what the Bible says and I will conform to it. Right? We do not make our beliefs, our beliefs make us. And I say all that because I am afraid of doing the wrong thing here, right? I do not want to revise Scripture to make me happier, right? And I'm afraid I'm doing that. Uh, and and I'm, okay, I'm done backtracking for now. I've, I've waffled and weaseled enough. <laughs> We've wrestled with a difficult text and maybe gleaned nothing practical. But, but I think we're going to turn from that and go to a practical defense of marriage. Because in here we found... Two reasons for, adult, or for, for, for divorce. One is adultery, and the other is hardness of heart. 
that as we've looked at divorce, we found those two reasons. And, and this part we can camp on, I think. So let's, let's look at those first, adultery. It's, it's okay, you know, it's, you know the saying, it's easy but it's hard? <laughs> or it's, it's simple but it's not easy? <laughs> you know, that, that's, that's what this whole uh, adult, I, you know, I, I get to stand up here and say, on this one, guys, I'm innocent, <laughs> ah, yeah. as opposed to all the other sins, I have to confess. Uh, you just don't allow yourself to be drawn to another, guys, another man. Who was it? To, I'm not going to say who told me, <laughs> but I'll look him in the eye. <laughs> that a woman came up to him and said, you know what, I can honestly say I've never been attracted to another woman. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> or never lusted after another woman, whatever. So, thank you very much. That doesn't help me at all. <laughs> you know. Uh. Guys, just don't let yourself be attracted to another woman. If you start seeing you're attracted to another woman, put the brakes on. Stop. Do something to stop it. Right? You say, well, it's hard. Well, I'm sorry. If you're driving at 60 towards the, the, uh, the bridge that's out, you're going to find a way. <laughs> you know? You're not going to say, oh, well, <laughs> guess I'm going off the bridge. You're going to at least go off with tires skidding. Right? So when I was 19, 18, 18, I've told you this story before, but not quite this way. Uh, I was going to show Joan who's who. I was going to—we were not married; we were dating. I was, it was her birthday, and I was going to teach her a lesson. So I wasn't going to show up for a birthday party, and she wasn't going to be able to find me. <laughs> and so I wrecked my car, <laughs> wound up in the hospital. And here's how I wrecked my car: was I'm I'm driving out on a highway that that stops and joins another highway. And when I saw the stop sign, I put my foot down on the brake, and my car did not brake because it broke. <laughs> and, and so either, either, either the brakes went out or I hit black ice. It was winter. And so I, I turned the wheel as hard as I could, and I ended up skidding sideways across the highway and slammed into a bank. And my next stop was a hospital. My brother told me had I turned the other way, I might have just made it. <laughs> but, you know, anyway... You, you know what? I was not able to stop before I hit it, but if you went and looked at the pavement, you could tell I tried, okay? <laughs> I, had, I had some good tires on that car. They were brand new. They tried to give me a tire for uh, a ticket for having bad tires. I sent the judge the receipt. <laughs> he knocked off that part. Anyway, <laughs> it's really offensive to have to pay a traffic ticket when you're in the hospital. It's like, come on, give me a break. But he didn't. He gave you a break on the tires. But anyway, you know, at least try. Try to stop. Do something. You would do it with other things. Try to stop if you see yourself being attracted to another woman. You see last week's sermon, because I'm not repeating that puppy, <laughs> right? <laughs> Don't let it get started. If it has started, kill it dead, right? Just don't let it go there. So that's adultery. But the second one is don't allow yourself to become hard-hearted toward your spouse. Don't, uh, and when I say that, isn't it easy? Isn't it easy to become hard-hearted toward your spouse, to become resentful, to become angry, to, become, to, to find little things annoying? And when I say that, I am speaking as a man who has been married for almost, uh, two weeks from now, 45 years, right? Okay. So, so we're on our way. Yeah. Actually, Joan needs to get up here and bow. <laughs> yeah. Warranty's almost up. She'll be free. But uh, 
Ephesians 5, back there, where I started. Don't allow yourself to become hard-hearted toward your spouse, toward your spouse. Wives, subject yourselves to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. And we have that whole submission thing. And if we jump down to verse uh, 33, Nevertheless, as for you individually, each husband is to love his own wife the same as himself, and the wife must see that she respects her husband. And so, so we find that submit word twice in the first part addressed to the wives, and then we find that, that respect word thrown in at the end. Ladies, I want to tell you something. It doesn't say because he's honorable, and it doesn't say because he's respectable. And if you say, I'm not going to respect him because he's not respectable, understand that passage is not addressed to him. It's addressed to you. So start showing respect to him. Start treating him with honor. Or you are failing in what you have been told to do. Okay, Men, your passage is longer. And by the way, the word love is found four times, <laughs> as opposed to women, tw twice with, with uh, submit and once with respect. Guys, love four times. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So her husbands also ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because this we are parts of his body. For this reason the man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I'm speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, as for you individually, each husband is to love his own wife the same as himself, and the wife must see that she respects her husband. And the guy is told four times to love his wife. Men, if you cannot act with love towards your wife, you are being hard-hearted. There's something wrong with your heart. There's nothing wrong with her. And I'm not saying there's nothing wrong with her. <laughs> there might actually be something wrong with her. But that's not the question. That's not the question. If you cannot find your way to love your wife, the problem isn't with her, the problem is with you. Ladies, if you cannot find the, the, the way to respect your husband, I'm not saying that, that he's being respectable or, or, or it's easy, but I'm saying that's a problem with you. Repent. Repent. There's two things you need to do. If you find you are, you are in, you've got that seed of adultery in you, if you find that you've got this hardness of heart in you, repent. What do you do? You change your action. You change your thinking. You act respectful. You do loving things. Revelation chapter 2, of all things. And it's kind of interesting because he says, I'm not speaking of Christ but of the church. Well, now I'm reading a passage about the church. I'm talking about marriage. <laughs> Revelation chapter 2. Verse 4, verse 4 and 5. But I have this against you. God, Christ is talking about the church and how they are responding to him, right? But picture this in your marriage. But I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the things you did at first. Right? Some, somehow, sometime in the past, you fell in love. 
I know what you ladies are thinking. You say, yeah, but back then he had hair. <laughs> no. He says, first he says, repent. First he says, repent. And then he says, do the things you did at first. Bring back that love. I'm not going to start singing because <laughs> that would be bad. But you all know what it would, the song would be, right? Yeah. <laughs> okay. So Jesus used this passage, and we use this passage. We pull this out. If we want to condemn divorce, we pull this passage out like it's a six gun, right? God, and we go, God hates divorce. And, and if you divorce, you can't remarry. And we pull it out like a weapon. But I don't think it's given to attack divorce, although in their case, particularly the way they did it was so bad. I think it's given to protect marriage. It's given to protect something that he loves. Uh, protect, don't, and, and not just to say, even though I hate it, I will not get divorced because I, I, I know God hates divorce and I don't want to disobey him. That's not bad. Protect yourself from the mindset that would want to divorce. Protect yourself from going there in the first place. Okay. Um, If the first part of this message, <laughs> where I talked about why I think divorce and remarriage is okay, bothers you, and you don't agree with it, I'm okay with that. But the second part, about protect your marriage, I'm going to stand on that. Right? There's no escape. Protect your marriage. Don't allow those things to happen to you. And let your marriage be the kind that honors Christ. And let it be the kind that reflects him. So it looks like what the church and Christ are. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the hard places where, Lord, we have to chew that meat and uh, figure it out. Lord, I ask that we will be faithful to you and to your word as intended. Lord, let us be right before you. Let us be godly. Lord, I ask especially that you bless and protect our marriages. In Jesus' name, amen.